welcome to A Fistful of Truth with me, your host, Delara Essengill. You can find me daily here on the podcast, except for Wednesdays when I'm taking a much-needed break. So you can find the podcast on Spotify as well as Anchor.fm if you're using a web browser. Also, thank you for everybody who is supporting A Fistful of Truth. Without your support, this podcast is not possible. Your continued support is appreciated, and the link can be found in the podcast description as well as on the daily blog. You can also make a one-time, two-time, or however many times you wish donation on PayPal. So thank you for everybody who's doing that. I had to cut out Wednesdays because I am unable to keep up um, doing this for free, although it is my passion and desire to be able to do this for free as I am still currently unemployed. However, you can find me also on my blog daily at www.delaraessengill.blog. You can search any term on the blog that has to do with this truth, with, that has to do with the truth, not just this movement, it has to do with the truth about these dark, vile vermin that are going to hell in a handbasket as we speak. Cannibal gate, tranny gate, nub gate, blood sacrifice, blood currency, saving the children. You are watching a show. The Standard Hotel, helicopters over Hollywood. You can search all these terms and more on the blog and share with others as the truth is what will set us free. In the meantime, you can also check out www.mydailychoice.com forward slash Delara CBD. I'll tell you something, guys. I have these bath bombs from My Daily Choice from Hempworks, and the bath bombs are absolutely amazing. A lot of us are going through aches and pains for various reasons. If you're going to buy one thing from this company and try it, I implore you to get the bath bombs and try them and you'll sleep like a baby. I'm savoring every, every one that I have and I'm, I'll be getting some more and they make great gifts. So check out sales that will be coming up on the site as well as uh, making a list of people that you can uh, support patriots and gift patriots these wonderful uh, bath bombs as well as other items like coffee, um, all sorts of relief creams and so forth. There's tons of stuff on the site at www.mydailychoice.com forward slash Delara CBD. Well, today is Thursday, Throwback Thursday, and we have a series going on with retired LAPD Sergeant Michael Fanning, and he is telling us the truth and nothing but about what and how the communist, Marxist, Luciferian, dirtbag agenda infiltrated our legal system, our uh, our um, our legal system, as well as our um, our police departments, our law enforcement systems, as well as our country and world. He's going to tell us a story, and he's been telling the story. We're getting great feedback, so please tune in if you've missed the first two episodes. Um, I think there was actually one episode so far. If you've missed the uh, last episode of LA Non-Confidential, that's the title of the series, please go back, search for it, and listen to it before you listen to this one because it is a continuation of what uh, Mike has been telling us from the very beginning, from his eyes, from his own personal eyewitness uncontrolled narrative. Welcome Sergeant Mike Fanning to LA Non-Confidential on A Fistful of Truth. Well, hello, Mike. Welcome back to LA. How are you doing? Hi, Delara. I'm glad to be back. Uh, doing well. How are things well, down in Los Angeles? 
warm as ever. I don't like this kind of heat during this time because it just reminds me of all the fires we, that were set by the uh, the cabal. <laughs> but you know, it's calmed down a little bit. Um, things are things are slow down here. A lot of things seem to be shut down. Uh, they shut down a bunch of stuff. So I'll send you a link later when I post an article. I went downtown and your old stomping grounds and took a bunch of uh, video showing people actually what this place looks like. It looks like a ghost town, Mike. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I understand you went down and uh, got some footage of uh, the, uh, the standard hotel. Oh, I sure did. This is the second <clears throat> time I got the one downtown LA and I haven't posted it yet or even talked about it, but let's just briefly tell people it is boarded up and closed down, but wait till you see what's connected to it. It is mind blowing. Um, but it looks like they are doing operations there. And <laughs> you'll appreciate this. There was a fake movie set. I mean, look, I've seen lots of movie sets. I've worked on them, commercials, all that stuff. This this shit wasn't real. This was, uh, it looked like it was staged. And you know what it said on the side of the, one of the, the banners or whatever they had up there? <laughs> it no, what said, it say? It said dark to light as I drove out. Oh. Yeah. The, the last time it said tick tick boom on this sign, and I'm like, wait, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's pointing right at Tom Hanks's place across from the stand. I'm like, this is no longer a coincidence, okay? Uh, and you know, combined with all the other helicopter activity and the um, pretty much the insanity of uh, people actually reporting that they are seeing people getting grabbed out of their homes by a plane, plane dressed. Uh, well, they're obviously they're obviously feds on some level, and I believe there's military at this point. They're they're taking people away. And I've actually seen them taking away homeless people with fire engines. Can you believe that? Just so long as the homeless isn't driving the fire engine. Well, if that's happening, we're all in trouble, Mike. We're all in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So anyway, I just wanted to let you know before we begin real quick, I had great response. A lot of people are writing in, people that are listening to this right now. Um, keep your comments coming. Everybody loved hearing what you have to say because they've never heard it before. And um, it's so valuable. So I want to thank you for putting yourself out here and, and giving us this information and really just presenting it in such a way that I've never heard it presented or I've never heard this stuff until I'd met you and, and started hearing and listening and learning from you. So very blessed to have you here. Thank you. Well, the point that I'd like to make um, to bring talking about the, the L.A. riots in 92 forward to the present day, especially last year, was that there was an amount of uh, sophistication and planning using the technology uh, and the, the assets of being able to communicate on a, on, a, on a very large scale all around the world back in the, in the, uh, the early 90s, <clears throat> and that that has been amplified as technology has improved for the purposes of being able to almost uh, overnight uh, dial up the, the events that took place all across uh, our country last year and a few other countries as well, where there was basically mass anarchy, not just in one city, not in a couple of cities like it used to be in the 60s, but um, all around the country simultaneously. I mean, there wasn't enough news coverage to cover every single event going on simultaneously. I remember sitting in my, in my living room all throughout the, the summer of, uh, especially June of, of 2020, uh, conversing with one of my old partners from the department who still lives in LA. <clears throat> and we had three or four different uh, television 
uh, channel live feeds going on on our devices back and forth and we're making our own comments about what we're seeing what's being done wrong and everything so what you saw last year was a force multiplication capability that had been learned over the course of the last 20 years using um, the, uh, the infiltrated assets that are in the United States government, uh, especially in the State Department, the media, uh, National Security Council, and, and um, some of the other resources, and, and down to the levels of, of uh, community organizing. We're all familiar with that term. Barack Obama made that, that, that term uh, um, blazoned in our, in our memories forever. Mm -hmm. Community organizers. Wow. It's, uh, you, you can take uh, <clears throat> what used to be, no one would ever pay any attention to somebody trying to fix a problem in the inner city. And those were, those were legitimate efforts back then. Uh, and now they, they've been turned around, they've been marxized, they have all the assets of the media that will uh, take and, and be able to exploit this stuff because constantly what you're always looking at that goes through across every single thing that you see um, throughout the media, whatever you, wherever you get your, your information from throughout the day, including the internet of uh, the Marxist dialectic, which is the, the thought process of Marxism being able to carry its message in a, in a disruptive and a manipulative way to stir up class struggle, class warfare. Um, and it's what we recognize is the um, um, political correctness, which we, were, we discussed last time as being from the Frankfurt School founded by Antonio Gramsci uh, that, that brought about cultural Marxism. So in the first 20 years of, our, of the 21st century, the capabilities to transmit, keeping the, the masses, keeping the races uh, stirred up a large part of the time uh, has been so effective. But back to the, the summer of, of uh, 91 going towards the, uh, the trial in Simi Valley in, in the spring of 1992, there was a coordination through um, two main groups in South Central Los Angeles. One was the Urban League, which was, the, uh, which was uh, presided over by John Mack. Uh, John Mack used to also be a bail bondsman and operated a bail bonds office across the street from the Southwest Police Station on King Boulevard. But in his uh, more political uh, prowess, uh, Mack was, was president of the chapter of the Urban League for Los Angeles. <clears throat> The other was uh, an entity called uh, the Brotherhood Crusade. The Brotherhood Crusade was a 501c3 style community organizing type group um, run basically off of uh, Saul Alinsky's uh, United Neighborhoods uh, program, which was all Marxist. It, it, it passed through uh, the various ethnic neighborhoods, especially uh, the Hispanics and the Blacks. But the, the, the Brotherhood Crusade was, was dedicated and, and uh, focused completely on, on uh, 
South Central Los Angeles and, and cities like that across the country in areas where, where there was heavy black population and high crime. It was run by a man by the name of Danny Bakewell. Danny Bakewell's uh, um, street creds were that he was a Black Panther in the 60s. And um, it was determined uh, at the turn of the uh, 60s that uh, those who would be incarcerated from the, uh, the various ethnic um, Marxist groups like uh, um, the Brown Berets from Los Angeles that were run by Cesar Chavez and the United Neighborhoods Organization, UNO, uh, that were infiltrated by LA County sheriffs uh, and the, um, the, the Panthers who were very, very active in, in, uh, throughout California. There were quite a few shootouts between LAPD and, and Northern County, Northern California uh, city uh, municipalities up in Oakland in particular. And what years was uh, this, Mike? This would be in the, the, the 60s would be, uh, the, it would be in the 60s and the shootouts would have been in Oakland and, and, in, and in Los Angeles. I worked in um, Oakland before, so yeah, <laughs> not in those days, fun, but it's later. it's a fun city. It's a fun city, you know. <laughs> not, but so the um, so Bakewell was basically a Marxist uh, a radical from the '60s, and uh, you know all the people that were standing behind Barack Obama, radicals, Bill Ayers, and uh, people like that. And so the, these uh, these people resurfaced, and it was part of what we uh, received as a at a training day put on by Public Disorder Intelligence Divisions in 1972, while I was a young cop in Wilshire Division, where this detective from um, Public Disorder told us that all of the groups, the radical groups from the 60s, were going to go underground. And they would either go into the prison system because they would have been incarcerated and they would form politically uh, volatile criminal organizations like the Black Gorilla Family, um, MA and the Western Familia, which were, were more criminal organized crime type, would also take on these elements. And eventually they would uh, morph with the, uh, the radical Islamic groups towards the latter part of the century. That wasn't part of the conversation. I'm inserting that into there from, from insight that you should know about. The second thing that the, the detective indicated back in 1972 was that those who didn't go to jail would join community organizing type groups. And this is before the man was able to identify people like Danny Bakewell starting up United Neighbor, uh, starting up uh, black, uh, um, the, uh, is it the Panthers? The, uh, the Brotherhood. The Brotherhood. The Brotherhood yeah. <clears throat> okay, so for 91 and 92, Bakewell and uh, John Mack were active and were part of the group that, that attended this uh, uh, Communist Party fundraiser at the Sheraton Hotel, where uh, the police commission um, president, Stanley Scheinbaum, and the former president of the police commission, Melanie Lomax, both members of the Communist Party, were there to emcee this event where they discussed the planning of the, of the 92 riot during the summer of 1991. And you were there at this thing? I was not, but George was my friend. Okay. And, and it was his 
debrief to me of who was there, what was discussed, that uh, be, um, began to um, serve as a basis for my own personal investigation. Uh, because I'm working in South LA every night and you, and you can't help but see things and, and, and notice that there's a, uh, a change in the air. There's a, an attitude that's developing. Uh, something was up. Um, <clears throat> to, to try and, and drive home how coordinated this was, uh, Winnie Mandela, the wife of Nelson Mandela, uh, co-president, co-founder of, of the African National Con Congress in South Africa that dislodged the, uh, the British MI6 puppet government of, uh, of the South Africans, the Afrikaans in the, uh, in the 80s. And in, in the late in the very early 90s, because uh, Nelson had been uh, released from prison for having murdered all these people that he had did that he was uh, convicted for, and became an instant world celebrity, and he eventually made a celebrity tour through Los Angeles that was hosted by Tom Bradley, Winnie Mandela, for the pr exclusive purpose of coordinating and overseeing the management level of the planning for the 1992 riots was issued a visa by the State Department, the United States State Department of State, to come to the United States of America for the purposes of coordinating sedition, treason, and anarchy. Wonderful. The, the George Bush Department of State. Of course. So get that, get your mind wrapped around how deep the coordination, the infiltration, and the willing cooperation of trying to destabilize your country. Because remember, one of the other things that has to, to stay up, you know, in your, like you've got a, an operation board in front of you and you've got all the, the, the little categories and everything. Well, one of those categories that's important is that your own government grows power out of chaos. Yep. The Hegelian, yep. the Hegelian, yep. uh, theory mm -hmm. you know so Winnie Mandela comes in twice to South Central Los Angeles I saw her with my own little eyes uh, when she walked in uh, under the escort of uh, uh, some high-level gang and uh, street gang bodyguards <laughs> Danny Bakewell John Mack and they met at the Jehovah's Witness Kingdom uh, Kingdom Hall, wow. off of forty off of forty third and Lamert, right next to the Wells Fargo Bank branch, which was the most famous money laundering uh, bank branch for for drugs uh, in all of the uh, not just the city of L.A. but all across the country. Pretty good neighborhood, right? <laughs> Sounds like a party. <laughs> oh, it was a party, and. After the uh, after my friend George had gone to the uh, um, fundraiser, he brought back some material um, that was the in-house publication of the uh, the Communist Party, vis-a-vis -vis this uh, 
bookstore down on, on Western Avenue. It had a particular name. I sent you the copy of the, uh, of I the kept articles. It. I'm going to actually post it. Is that okay if I post the articles? Yeah, no, I want, this... you, I, want you okay. to, I want you to post it and because people will be able to see this and read the article for themselves. Yes. And so when George showed me this, I'm looking at it. It has a cartoon characterization of uh, Chief Gates and a billy club and, and then some references to some articles that were written. Oh, surprise, surprise, by an officer inside the department talking about how racist everything is. The us versus the us versus them. The division. Um, the division and everything. Talking about it from the inside. Mm-hmm. The author, the author was a at the time a an active duty sworn Los Angeles police officer by the name of Garland Hardiman. Garland Hardiman was um, one of the members of the Oscar Joel Bryan Association, and he was one of the uh, group of Oscar Joel Bryant officers who were just mysteriously asked to go and testify about institutional racism inside LAPD by the Warren Christopher Commission. <laughs> that took place after, after the riots. No, I'm take, I take that back. Uh, the Warren Christopher Commission took place after Rodney got his butt whooped. <laughs> and um, talk about programming, yeah. my God. So all mm. of this is going on at a rather fast pace for the conditions and the capabilities back then in 1991 up to and through 1992. The the riot that was going to take place after the verdict was was uh, announced. And how do you know that you're going to plan a riot and carry it out if you already, how could you possibly know what the verdict is going to be? Right. Of course, if you're going to move, if you, as the district attorney, would have the capacity to move that trial anywhere in the county of Los Angeles to get a desired effect. Oh, was that guy also present at the fundraising event? Was he? Of course. But I mean, some of these things, I mean, I don't have the answers to everything, but, but after a while, you, you look at so many um, things that are not co- coincidences, but they happen there. And, and then the next thing you see is you see results. And the only way you get those results is if somebody who was clued in made something happen. Now, I've given you enough indications already that the, the governmental entities that were staffed by, by infiltrators, people who were seditionists, anarchists, members of the Communist Party, whether they had a D or an R after their name for, for political purposes. So they yeah. get, didn't matter. And so this riot was not only going to uh, kick off in just Los Angeles, and it wouldn't get any just automatic eventual sympathy riots in a couple of the other major cities. It actually kicked off simultaneously in 168 cities across the United States, North America, and up into and a few of the cities in Canada, mainly in America, though, mainly in the United States. All of that was pre, pre-wired, pre-programmed to take place. And the, uh, the only memory that has been emblazoned into uh, most Americans, just like the, uh, the emblazoned of the, of the Twin Towers coming down, we all know what that looked like. If you're old enough, you remember, some of us remember watching Bobby Kennedy get killed live on TV like I did when I was 18 years old. Say these things, but 
So when you see the uh, the riot take place, and CNN says that the riot started at Florence in, in Normandy because um, a group of people just couldn't handle it anymore, and they and they went and they ripped uh, Reginald Denny out of a, a truck and beat him with a, a cinder block. That isn't what happened. It, well, that it did happen, and that's what they said is the way it, it happened, and then it spread from that point. But what actually happened the afternoon of the riot was that the t- to take advantage of number one is that the verdict was announced for media purposes at the same time that the ordinary afternoon rush hour traffic that would plug up all the freeways uh, going in various directions uh, in and out of Los Angeles began to take place just as a regular matter of course. <clears throat> so about between 3 and 3.30, um, the on-ramps and the off-ramps of the southbound Harbor Freeway, the I-10 <clears throat> and the, uh, uh, the 110 Freeway, rather, and, and, this, and the, uh, primarily the westbound Santa Monica Freeway out to about Overland, <laughs> And down south to uh, into South Central Los Angeles, vehicles uh, began vehicles began driving up to the on ramps and the off ramps, and blocking those those with uh, pallets, mattresses. They were soaked in in uh, gasoline and they were lit on fire. Oh my God! So it caused instant gridlock. It was caused instant gridlock. And this planning stages of the things that I've been describing then achieved their, their planned objective on that afternoon when the riot was, was taking place. Tom Bradley walked out of one side of the city hall. He could have done something correct and proper, but he wasn't a correct and proper man. <laughs> and he just said, no justice, no peace. At the same time, <laughs> Parker Center on the opposite side of City Hall was being attacked by one of the cells of the Communist Party. And the, uh, one, of the, one of the outbuildings was being lit on fire and, tip, and turned over. And of course, there just happened to be a film crew there waiting for that. <laughs> so let me guess which network it was. No, I'm just kidding. No, they were all, they were all there watching. Yeah, no. They were all there. It, yeah. was, it was a feeding frenzy. It was the same thing. But, but speaking of the media, <clears throat> I had my own little event with um, public broadcasting, PBS, uh, in the summer of 1991, uh, in, the, in the planning stages of, uh, of the riot. And I was working, um, it was uh, working Southeast Division at the time. I hadn't yet transferred back up to Southwest. And uh, one afternoon, I was assigned a ride along by my watch commander. And uh, Come to find out that it was a film crew from PBS, <laughs> and it was this back then the 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 face of PBS for news, uh, aside from Jim Lehrer, uh, was this uh, little twerpy British Jewish guy. I don't remember his name, and there he stands in front of me, and um, he had a film crew, he had an audio man, and he had a camera crew, a cameraman. They sat in the back, and he sat in the, in the, in the, the interviewer um, sat in the right front seat of my police car, and I was stuck with these guys for the better part of eight hours. The significance <laughs> of this, the significance or, of this, or were they stuck uh, with you? 
Well, it was go, both. Go ahead. It was both. <laughs> but um, having been uh, fueled with the, uh, the, that um, <laughs> underground publication written with the article written by the uh, Southwest Division police officer, Garland Hardiman, who went on with his pals to uh, testify at the Christopher Commission, talking about all of the officers on the department who just happened to be white. They, know, they named by name 43 officers. Almost all of them were white. There's a couple of Hispanics thrown in just to make it look balanced. Wow. And, um, and they went to the Christopher Commission. Warren Christopher, by the way, was uh, the Los Angeles Catholic Archdiocese uh, uh, attorney of record. Um, and Christopher was the one who uh, had uh, helped adjudicate all of the non-disclosure agreements with Cardinal Mahoney and his abusive uh, homosexual priests uh, with all the abused altar boy cases, some of which I had a little bit of scant involvement with. Um, but the Christopher Commission takes this testimony and then makes referrals of all these, these 43 officers. And all 43 officers are sent to the department's, what we used to call the shrink, it's called behavioral sciences. Uh, I'm familiar, know. yep. And uh, they went primarily to one individual uh, psychologist. And all 43 of these people went through a, for the appearances, went through the uh, what was supposed to be a, uh, a clinical assessment, psychiatric mm -hmm. uh, assessment. And nobody can ever convince me that all 43 people would have come up with the same results. But that's exactly what I'm happening. <laughs> and with the recommendation that uh, uh, they would lose their, their powers of arrest, they'd wow. have to surrender their gun, they could keep a civilian employment type of a job with the department if they so chose to do terrible, terrible morale crusher for, for all the rest of the department. Because what it ended up in effect was the daily average jail population in LA County, which LA City, LAPD contributed to heavily was 25,000 people in the county jail system on a daily basis. That was the average from being arrested and then, and then going to court, staying in custody until people bailed out or being transferred out to, into the state system upon various convictions. Mm -hmm. after, after the effect of 43 police officers losing their powers of arrest because a bunch of black militant police officers went to a cooked up um, struggle session which is really called, which was what the Christopher Commission is or was, uh, caused the morale of the department on LAPD to take a nosedive. The effect of it being that from that point forward, the daily jail population went down to under 5,000 people, and it rarely has ever come up above that ever since. And what happened so to the crime rate? <laughs> what happened well, to the crime rate right after that? So you, you, you get, yeah, you, <laughs> It, it goes through the roof. And of course, you don't let it go through the roof as far as taking accountability for that. You just suppress it. The media cooperates with you. Yeah, you talk oh, to your and by local. The way, the, mm -hmm. and, and by the way, the FBI is already running 
the department by that time with that consent decree. And weren't they wearing your and uniforms it, too? Well, they, they only <laughs> wore just that one time. I know, I know. Okay. Um, I was just being cheeky. I know. So knowing that this, this uh, coordination was there, and I had read all the articles that were inside this communist publication, and I, sit, um, I now have this PBS uh, crew, and we're, we didn't even make it out the parking lot. <laughs> and the first words out of this guy was, tell us about the us versus them mentality of you officers on LAPD. Oh, my God. Now, what this interview was, was not just they picked on me and they think, well, let's call Mike Fanning up and, and get him to just talk randomly about everything and, no. and make him look like a bad guy. No, no. This was a, a, a series, a wide ranging series of interviews that PBS conducted of a lot of different officers, mainly the newer breed that came in after 1980. And they were getting all their, their programmed answers and predictable responses. And this article, which I sent you, uh, which is maintained in an archive at uh, USC, um, you can play that. Uh, your listeners can listen to it and they can, they can view it for themselves. And part of that is uh, what they were able to piece together of, of what was an eight-hour ride-along interview of me and them in my police car in South L.A. Um, in uh, early... Uh, say about March of uh, 1991, but it it was confrontational the whole entire time. But I brought to them um, the fact of everything that I'm discussing with you. I brought to their attention, and they blew it off, of and they, they wouldn't they would not relent because <laughs> our enemy, our enemy, is relentless. They will never. They will never acknowledge that they are evil or that they can be beaten and they will never relent. They're undaunted. And this is the nature of our battle. It is not just a military battle. It's not just a, a psychological battle. It is Spir a spiritual battle. Yes, I agree. Because, because communism is atheistic. It hates God. Yep. It hates the church that Christ founded, and it has, with the other organized uh, elements, subversive elements in, in society, the secret societies, the, the Freemasons, and all their little groupies, uh, and the and where people who are pulled from those those organizations to, into positions of political and economic and uh, social power positions, that's what we're surrounded with every day. But in, in our lifetime, as technology has expanded the capacities and the capabilities to, to march through the institutions, the long march through the institutions, uh, we find ourselves uh, without a leader, without anybody in competent authority, anywhere we look. And what happened with the election in November of last year, what it has done to how this government physically is being operated and with all the impending threats that are 
they're uh, coming at us. Um, I have to stop you. Biden's not president. It's a fake president up there. Okay, I know you know. I I just want the list. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for out there because I get comments like, oh, people panic. (laughs) So I'm just trying to stop the panic. Um, Well, no, the panic, the panic is, is, is our, is our, the, the God-given instincts to know right and wrong and to, and what comes with knowledge of right and wrong is this very treacherous <laughs> tightrope act. We, we walk through life with our leaders and trust, benevolence, or being, you know, ruled by dictators. And, and this is our existence. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's never really been perfect. It's never been perfect. It, there's been times where it's worked well, but in the last five, 600 years, it's fallen on very hard times and it continues to get worse. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, yes, but right now, you know, we are seeing the manifestation actions that are being taken under the cover. A lot of people don't understand as you and I do, um, what it takes to operate. I mean, look, I don't think I could even wrap my head around how massive this is, but just looking at it from my peon point of view, what I got to see in my lifetime and, you know, what I've read and learned and interacted with, lucky to be in with somebody like you, um, this is going on in the background and it takes a lot. Um, people are not understanding. And I think some people are you know, and you've been in operations overseas, you've been around the world, you've been, you know, you're not just a, what did you call yourself? Uh, not, a, not a beat cop, but you called yourself something funny the other day, or in a past conversation. There, you have a name for yourself from the LAPD, what is it? Well, there's, you know, there, there was just ghetto <laughs> gunfighter, you know, yes, prince ghetto. of the city, prince of, you know, big, big city cop, uh, you know, and, and prince of the city. Those, those were our little nicknames that we gave ourselves because... Um, it, it was an indication back then that we were up against uh, some formidable odds. And for a very long time in my generation of being fortunate to be a cop on, you know, in, Los An- in, in not just Los Angeles, but here in America, you know, all of us nationwide, we held, we held that line pretty darn good considering there was not that many of us overall. I, I'm, I'm impressed and amazed. And it took the, you know, it, it goes to show you the will of a few strong um, individuals who have a spine oh. and have a set, excuse me, to stand up to this kind of tyranny, treason, infiltration. I mean, hallelujah. And God bless you for also, you know, coming up till today to tell us about these things. Um, you know, I want to take a little sidetrack because I think it's really important that people hear this from you. Um, I, and I'm, I'm noting where we are. Um, and we're at the 35 minute mark, just so, just in case, because I know you have to go. Um, the I want I want people to hear it from you. Um, you've been involved in various operations in your life, and right now the public isn't seeing what's going on because the powers that be don't want to show them yet. Okay. What 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 does it take? You know, in your opinion, can you just explain to the p- people that are listening out there? and give them some kind of uh, understanding of what this kind of operation on, on the level that you're used to, which I know isn't just, you know, a police officer level, but we'll get into that on some other episode. Um, 
I know that your understanding of how operations work in order to, you know, catch these perpetrators and bring them to justice. I'm just saying it very broadly because it's like every structure, every infrastructure aspect of our living has been infiltrated. But I'm trying to get to the point where, you know, you don't you don't just go up and and say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to take down, you know, your family and this person and your job and your those announcements are not made. And what does it take in the background, the covert operations? Like, what do you, how can you explain this to people? I know it's impossible to explain on a technical level to civilians, but perhaps you can give people an overview or your understanding or your opinion of um, how they should perceive what the operations are that are going on behind the scenes in the military. Because, you know, I, I have sources that are telling me what are going on in piecemeal, which I, I share with you when I can. Um, it's hard to tell this to the public, but I want the public to know from somebody who's seasoned and has seen the world through your eyes, what kind of, you know, what do you think about this? Well, first thing is that since World War II, uh, anything in dealing with intelligence in all of its various categories, including espionage, which would, you know, impart, uh, be involved with what you're discussing and part of the question that you're asking has all become civilianized. It was taken away from um, the military intelligence organizations of, uh, of nations, of countries, uh, especially in the Western Hemisphere, uh, due to the side deals that were cut by Stalin, Roosevelt, and Churchill at, Yalt- at the Yalta Conference prior to the end of World War II. That is what created the Cold War. Number one, it also created the civilian intelligence agencies. And when you get to the civilian intelligence agencies, you, you're looking at uh, political appointees running the various agendas coming from the private global organizations like the Council on Foreign Relations, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> the Institute for the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is its counterpart in England. Um, competing against the big um, enemies that were created as a result of the end of World War II. Now, when you get to the individual operations and, and what takes place and how does it, what does it really look like? It's yeah. varied, number one. Uh, if, it's, if it's law enforcement, it's not going to look like an intelligent, a military intelligence operation. It's not going to look like a CIA operation. Right. It's not going to look like um, a, a military operation. But when you have human intelligence at any of these levels, it takes um, corroboration. It takes a lot of time to be able to uh, have your uh, the, 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 the skilled undercover operatives, which uh, are the the basis of, of all of this to, to develop what's necessary to get the pictures of what's being planned as, a, as an adversarial action against uh, a host country uh, or in a city, something smaller, you know, uh, from, sure. from a regular, you know, drive-by shooting all the way up to uh, organized crime. Right. And and um, and there can be forces that will intervene and prevent these things from going forward. 
those are separate mm-hmm. stories and you should make a note of that because I can tell you a couple of them, you know, for, that, that I was involved with on the department. Um, on the greater level of uh, national, of, of, uh, national uh, involvement um, with our uh, created enemies, and they are our enemies, many of them are our enemies, and they should be our enemies because um, there has to be some logical, cohesive ability for, for populations, people in our countries, our country or wherever we, where other people live, to realize that there's a good guy and a bad guy, you know, and it's, you know, people do tend to fall along, you know, well, my country and is, is better than everybody else's. It's just, it's just natural. But when you're in an organization and you're trying to be part of something that's being planned, you have an understanding of what the requirements are, the, 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 the legalities of its law enforcement, of the, um, the ability uh, at a higher level of uh, military and intelligence joint operations to, to know that uh, you have all of the, the proofs that what you see is being proposed can work and that the, uh, when, you, when you pull the trigger, so to speak, and, and, and decide to uh, take action, that uh, you're not bombing an aspirin factory like Bill Clinton did, <laughs> or, or, or bombing the Chinese embassy in Zagreb, oops, like he did. Um, you, you do it with a lot more skill and, and, and capability. Yeah, and that uh, takes a lot. I mean, it's a it's an incomprehensible uh, planning effort and implementation and execution. But during but in in this era of compartmentalized, civilianized intelligence yep. gathering, so many things can be unplugged, and all of the other collateral compartments deprived of necessary uh, knowledge of what is actually taking place. And that's because of the heavy infiltration of the enemy into our own government. It cannot be understated how bad this is. And then the, the public looks around and the current population let's just say up, up to 40 years old, um, they don't have a clue as to uh, what people my age used to be aware of well before the internet, just because the, um, the capacity of uh, people being able to step before a microphone and get their full message out without it being censored. Good politicians that used to exist in, in various decades um, had a lot of had a lot of influence and a lot of power, and they 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 too helped keep a lid on things. But even they back then were being constantly interdicted and 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 uh, uh, eventually pulled off the stage. Men like uh, um, Senator Joseph McCarthy, um, Richard Nixon back when Richard Nixon still had a soul. Uh, when he, when he was anti-communist, uh, but uh, it, these things are they're very very complex, and um, the internet is not your friend. And nope. Researching on the internet is a joke. 
Yeah, I'm calling it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's you know, you're. I I could go on and on about this, but that's exactly what it is because you're just you know you're you're limiting yourself to a controlled narrative and they're feeding your your programming. It's the same thing as plugging your head into your television. There's no difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. I think we're about at the end of uh, what I can contribute today with my time, time constraints, and uh, it should be enough to to digest for a while. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, Mike, for your time. I'm going to get those articles up, and I'll check in with you if there's anything else that we want to add by uh, this Thursday. So look forward to um, we will look forward to hearing from you again next week and continuing on. I took some notes and really appreciate All your right. time and telling us these stories. All right, Dara. God bless to all your uh, listeners and you. God bless you, Mike. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thank you. We all thank you. I thank you and the audience thanks you, uh, Sergeant Mike Fanning. You are a blessing to this movement as well to humanity for your selfless service and your uh, knowledge and eyewitness testimony and personal, personal experiences that you bring to LA non-confidential. So stay tuned folks, because every Thursday, uh, Mike and I will be telling the story. Well, Mike will be telling the story and I will be here to uh, host the show LA non-confidential about how all of this, what we're experiencing today, all of this infiltration has happened at a, at a ground level. And we have somebody here telling us from a law enforcement perspective, um, what, what he has seen, and what he has been fighting his entire life. So thank you, sir, for your service. And thank you for the good fight because freedom, folks, freedom isn't always free. Also, please make sure to check out the uh, blog article that I will be posting later this evening. It will be about LA non-confidential. And Mike, it will be providing us with uh, documents and articles and things that he's collected and compiled over his lifetime of having to deal with this, excuse me, shit show. Um, But you will be able to view whatever it is that he's providing me with, which is just pretty much mind-blowing on every level. Um, So stay tuned because I will try to uh, write and um, present when when it's available information that's presented to me for you guys uh, from Mike on the blog. Every time you hear LA Non-Confidential, there will be a corresponding blog article that features the content mentioned and talked about in this podcast. So thank you very much for tuning in. God bless you all. And where we go one, we go all.